You are listening to Time to Revive. This show is designed to help you get the confidence to share your faith in everyday life. The music in the background is Revival from Third Day. Hello there, and welcome to Time to Revive. My name is Angie. I'm your host today, and in the studio with me is Mr. Mark Bird with Revive Ohio. Hello again. And good day, Angie. We are talking about unity. Last week, we started this little study on unity and why it was so important. And we're continuing on. Today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter four. Can you set it up for us? Yeah, Angie, you know, unity is something that is a big topic. And it's also one that we take for granted. I think in most cases, we just take unity for granted. But here's the thing for anybody who's in any relationship at all on planet Earth, you have to admit that unity takes work. And it yes. doesn't just mean that you have to work at it up front. It means that you have to continually work on unity. It's something you have to work at. And I think that's because of its importance. And there's more spiritual attack on it, honestly. That's exactly where I was going to go with it as well, Angie. You know, back when we were talking about Genesis, that's exactly what happened, right? There was an attack. Satan attacked unity. Yes. Didn't he? In because the very he was beginning. unified. Adam and Eve were unified and with God. That exactly. Was, that was the unity piece there. So now we have to get back into unity with each other and God again. Yes. So let's start in uh, verse 2 of Ephesians 4. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And I want to also throw in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Of course, Christ's gift to us gave us the ability to have unity. It's his love because this is what it says. We have to know Christ's love in, in verse 2 there, with one another in love. So there's the key to unity it's like a glue. is in love. And I always say this, in order to understand unity, you have to understand what it's not. What okay. it's not is just tolerating. Mm. You know, the world tells us all the time is tolerance. Yeah, that's true. That's what they preach, literally, is tolerance. But unity is not tolerance, Angie. It's love. So when you go to the altar, right, you don't say, hey, I, I promise to tolerate you the rest of my life. Oh, you see what yes. I'm saying? <laughs> Right? That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Tolerance isn't really truly love. It's not. We experience unity. We are experiencing love. Love is compelling us. So the scripture also teaches us that love compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Well, here's in this example today, the love of Christ compels us toward unity. Mm, Think amen. about that. It's true. Does love compel you to this, like the coming together to unifying? Because here's why. God knows that our unity is powerful. That's true. He knows that, and he's made us aware of it, and his love always compels us toward but unity. But here's the thing, is that I, I've always known that we should be unified, and I've always been open to it. Right. But until we actually stepped into a process of being unified, where churches literally came together, like we've talked about this before, that that with Revive Ohio, when we go out in teams, we don't know who we're going out with. And they're usually a totally different denomination. Some That's people good. I've met for the very first time, 
And it doesn't matter. We're going out in the name of Jesus. Right. Nothing else matters. But it wasn't until then that I realized the power of unity. When you don't put yourself or your denomination That's right. as the focus, it's not about us. It's about the kingdom. It is, Angie. And you know, it's interesting because once you're out on the team and you're working together, and then when you find out that someone on your team is from a different denomination or maybe the complete opposite stream, right? Then you go, oh, I don't care. Yeah, you sort of say, yeah, right? Like it's we don't. That, right. It's that prejudice that separates us or, or that creates this wedge, creates this disunity, right? But the love of Christ is what brings us together and it propels that unity. I think that a lot of times we put too much of ourself into it. Right. Like I was just mentioning, a lot of times we're so worried about what our church denomination feels. We shouldn't really go out with such and such because they believe differently than we do. Right. And we put too much emphasis on us. We do. But we need to put that aside. I love it when you say the phrase, can for the sake of unity, yes. we do this. Right. And that's what we have to do, right? In order to be unified, and this is what the scripture says in verse four, there is one body and one spirit. And so also with that, and I always use this phrase as well, there are only two teams in the kingdom of God that's or true. in the whole realm, right? right. It's always, you're either on God's team or you're on the devil's team. That's true. And so many times our disunity tries to tell us that there are more than two teams. So if you're a Baptist, then that means you're not on the same team as a Methodist. No, you are on the same team. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? But in our minds, when you said this, Angie, it's not about us. You're right. It's not about whatever we're labeled like that. But we are the body of Christ. So I'm not a sports person, but I'm assuming that if you don't make the baseball team, that you're just not on a team. There's not a like separate team that you go to. So that when somebody else falls off, you get to go on. Exactly. It's it's just you're either on the team or you're not, right? Yes. And I've used that analogy before, Angie. I'm like, if you're a catcher and you don't get along with the right fielder, does that mean that you're not on the same team? <laughs> so does the catcher good. need the right fielder? As soon as the ball is hit out there to right field, guess what? The he catcher can't be there. I need you. Oh. And if we started looking at each other through those eyes, I need you. One of the things that I learned through Revive is this, Angie. So if I'm a resident of the southwest corner of my county, for example, mm -hmm. and there's someone that gives their heart to the Lord in the northeast part of my county, would it be just easier for me to disciple them that far away or it would be easier to have someone in that area disciple yeah, it's them. Better so to say, have somebody. Like, and now it becomes, I need you, by the way, because this discipleship piece involves all of us. Yeah. And so I need you to be on my discipleship team so that we are making disciples together. Yeah. Explain that for those people that don't understand the whole discipleship piece as it pertains to Revive Ohio. Yeah. Because that's a good example, but I want people to understand the process. Sure. Really so quickly. so what, we're, what we're encouraging people to do is to follow the Great Commission, which says to make disciples of people. So Jesus didn't tell us to make converts, but to make disciples. So together, we're trying to set up one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationships. Okay. And yet, that one-on-one -on -one thing is a unifying thing because just exactly like we read, it's because we are one body yeah. and we're of 
one spirit. And I believe that's what Paul's reminding us of. Now, why would Paul take the time to talk about this? Because there was probably division and disunity going on. Absolutely. In, in the church at Ephesus, right? Obviously, because he addresses it in other places. And, and again, it's a new religion. It's a new faith for it people. Totally is. And so there's a lot of different people putting their input in that really don't really know what's going on. Yeah. And I, I love again, in verse three, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity. You have to work at it because it is not natural. Amen. And the same thing is, uh, Angie, in a wedding, in a marriage, you don't stand at the altar and say, well, I love you. And then that's the only time you say it the rest of your marriage. Well, I told you once, like you should have got that message. No, you have to work at it continually in every relationship that we have, but especially in our spiritual relationships, because spiritually that's where we're going to be attacked the most. Yeah, that's that's true. And that's why we have so many denominations today. So how can we personally continue to strive towards unity? What kind of posture can we take? I like that question, especially because if you break it down, and, and this is why I added verse seven in the initial reading, it's the means for unity. So what is the means or the practicality, Angie, as you describe for unity? And it says, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so the truth is, what's the practical side of that? Well, we have different gifts, Angie. Each one of us do. But if we're utilizing our gifts and it goes right back to that baseball analogy, like the catcher doesn't have the same gift as the right fielder does, or the catcher would be the right fielder. But yet together, when you're utilizing your gifts like that, when you're allowing the measure of Christ's gift to work together for the good of the whole, the whole prospers. Mm, amen. And it's stronger. And that's what it, that's what it talks about. I think that the strength of Christ is what we're all endeavoring for, keeping the unity of the strength of the body. It's, if you liken it to a family, how much weaker is a family when one member's not present? Yeah, yeah. And if we think about that in terms of, I need you, like, to be a part of this family, to be a part of this team, to be a part of this body, I need you. If we looked at each other through need, like, here's what we need to be as strong as we possibly can, I think that motivates us to love one another and not just tolerate one another. So our, just to break it down and to summarize, okay. so our posture to foster unity mm. should be leading with love and humility. Would you agree? Totally. And that's what came out of the scripture. The humility comes from knowing the grace that we've been given. <laughs> right. <laughs> it does. It does. And it goes back to verse two, with all lowliness and gentleness. Amen. That's the key, with long suffering. <laughs> Yeah. Because it does. Every long-lasting relationship requires long-suffering. Not does. that you're suffering, but that word also is patience, right? So it requires patience. A lot of people don't really put patience and unity together. Right. But I love how you're, you're doing this um, because I think you can't be truly unified unless you do have patience right. with each other. I think they're cousins, to be honest with you, Angie. <laughs> I do. We're not done with unity. There's so much that we want to say. And the next week, we're going to be digging into Psalm 133. 
And that one is super powerful. I've heard you talk about this before. I can't wait for people to hear this very short, very powerful psalm broken down and the way that it talks about unity. So today we are in Ephesians chapter four, the first seven verses. We're going to switch over now and we're going to have our time of testimony. I'm more excited today than I've ever been, but I'm also a little nervous because my special guest today is my own better half, my wife, Jill Bird. Jill, thank you for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me. And I'm kind of excited that she's here because I get to ask all the questions. (laughs) Yeah, and you're enjoying watching me sweat through this, Angie. Now, this is a really cool topic. And again, like we always do, Angie, we don't plan this out like per se like this. It just happened. I got up yesterday and I told Jill, I said, the Lord spoke to me and said, you know what? You're going to go on the radio with me tomorrow. Would you? (laughs) And then I asked, see, I said that. And then I asked, "Hey, will you come on the radio with me? And so here we are. This is exciting. But the topic is unity, of course. And what better way to let's get real, let's get honest, let's get practical and talk about unity. Yeah. Because a lot of the things that we were talking about, we, we use the analogy of a marriage. Right. And the two of you are married, and I'm assuming you're unified, correct? We are. We are for 25 years. There you go. So, yeah. But how easy was it to get to that place of unity? How long do you think it took, and how? what kind of a struggle was it, Jill? I think unity is work every day, yeah. wherever you're at. <laughs> every single day, because there's always little things. So let me ask you, Jill, if at some point in your marriage you felt like the unity was falling apart, what would that look like in the way of your marriage? And, and like, what would the signs be? And what would it do to it? Well, I think things get a little chaotic, and things kind of start to fall apart. I think the biggest breakdown is communication. Ah, that's a really good point. Very good point. Communication is so very important. Is there an example of, of when you felt like unity was not happening, and that you needed to make that, you know, become aware of it and bring it back? For me, it's just a matter of when you actually recognize it through chaos and discord. Maybe it's our children fighting more or things just not lining up. I always have to go to prayer for God to open that door for me to even maybe admit I'm wrong. No, that is exactly right. That Doesn't this, Mark, doesn't this sound like the way it happens in a church? It so does. So people start fighting. There's discord. There's chaos. And the only thing that we don't have is we don't have people going and seeking the Lord to find right, the answer. Exactly. And, and Jill is really good at this because it'll always come back to, okay, so what does the Lord, what does the Lord say? Now, here's the interesting piece that I've experienced with my wife, because when you have conflict, there's always two sides of the same story. There's yes. two sides to the story. But actually, Jill always goes, no, actually, there's three sides to every story, right? There's one person, the other person, and then there's God's perspective. The truth. And then she's like, well, let's look. Go ahead, Jill. It's yours, mine, and the absolute truth. That's right. (laughs) Amen to (laughs) that. And that's God's perspective, right? And so what we have to do is gravitate toward what is God's perspective. And so the threefold cord is not quickly broken, Okay, that scripture out of Ecclesiastes. So what does that mean? Like as you gravitate towards God in seeking his perspective, Mm. then it gives both sides the correct perspective. Yeah, but you guys didn't learn this in like the first month of your marriage. You've been married 25 years. So you've had to learn this, correct? Absolutely. And and like I said, Angie, I think it's it's learning it every day. 
those types of situations come up and you just have to um, seek the Lord in it and ask his will for it. So if unity is the goal and your marriage is, is kind of an example of the way that the church would actually go, then how can we take these examples and help our churches to be more unified inside the church and outside the church? How can we get beyond the chaos and the, the fighting and those things to get back to unity? I think you actually have to lay out what the problem is and start talking about it. And I think through that, that's how you come up with solutions. But you have to involve other people. You can't do it all yourself. And just like in a marriage, you know, a lot of times you try to try to figure it out yourself, but you have to involve your partner in order to figure out a plan. Absolutely. And I love the whole idea of putting God in the middle because he has a perspective. And if you both align with his perspective, then it seems to be that's the easier solution. But let me ask you this, Mark, because you deal with several churches in a county. Right. And when you first come to them and you try to bring them together, does it look like this? Does it look like a family unit that's been broken that needs to be repaired? Well, it's interesting, Angie, because every single county that we've been to, without exception, they tell me as we're in the preparation phase, we're trying to unify. They all tell me, oh, brother, you don't understand how disunified we are, how broken we are. This place is worse than any other place. And they really do, huh? Yeah, they tell, they all tell me that independently. And yet I say, yeah, every single county has told me the same exact thing. Wow. Because disunity is the name, the underlying name in all of it. But the truth is, and here's what I think the practical side of this is, it is what is our goal? So our goal, what is our prize, right? Our prize is Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. right? He is our prize. In a marriage, the goal is honoring Jesus Christ. In churches, independent churches, becoming unified for the sake of Jesus Christ. When you have your eyes on the prize, and this is what I've learned through our marriage, and I've watched my wife do this so well, sticking to the promise and sticking to the prize. Okay, mm. the promise is what you what you said to each other at the altar before God and then keeping your eye on the prize. So as we keep our eyes on the prize which is Jesus Christ, that will bring unity. And that's what we do because we all know Angie, there are all kinds of different doctrines and so forth in a particular even in one area, one city, one community. There's all these different doctrines, but what unifies us? Yeah, the, the blood of Jesus. Exactly right. So can we focus on that? Again, I say this, Angie, for the sake of unity, can we focus on what is the most important piece of this? What do we have in common? It yes. goes back to the scripture. What do we have? What is the bond of peace that we have? Well, Jesus Christ mm. is the Prince of Peace. And we're all here to do the same job, and that is make disciples. Right. Which is what it says in the scripture. But I love, now I love what Jill said about the three perspectives, because when you come to a county, right. you have to take theirs, but then you go back and here's God's perspective. That's it. And I'm sure that you are sure to tell them about unity in the scripture, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And so we teach on humility, unity, and a hunger for God, because every church, okay, would tell me that they have a hunger for God. That's why they're a church. And I'll say now I've learned to say, well, I want to see your hunger for God walked out through your humility 
and your unity. Mm. That's how you walk out your hunger for God. That's the fruit or the evidence of your hunger for God by your willingness to unite and be humble. And I know that churches do want to unite because we hear it all the time, but they just think it's not going to happen. So Jill, let's have a female perspective. You've partnered with your husband to go into these counties and you kind of see what's happening. So tell me what your observations are from the beginning to the end as far as unity. Well, I, I start with it looking at it as like we're all on the same team. And in order to, to win any game, you have to you have to work together or you're you're not gonna win. And as Mark said, you see the disunity, but like I said, they all have a common desire to share the love of Christ. And so um, it's really a beautiful process to see from beginning to end, to see how the pastors start working together and then the their congregations start working together. And really it becomes blurred that you really don't, I don't see who goes to what church and who, who belongs to what congregation. And at the end, you also see all the pastors who have now become friends and who can support one another. Because I've also seen, and it's hard for a pastor to really be able to share with many people, but when they have the, the other pastors that they're able to go to, pray with, pray for one another, sometimes some of the pastors have said that they've had no one. And at the end of uh, Revive Week, they have 10 to 15 other people that they never had in their, in their circle. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I have watched some of the the biggest bromances, getting all these <laughs> male pastors together when I've hung out with Mark Bird before. And I'm like, wow, these guys really feel like brothers now and they act like brothers. And it's so beautiful to watch, honestly. Well, and I think it boils down to value, Angie. It's when they start to value and esteem one another. Building up, it's just all a part of this unity piece. And, and it's the reason why, to me, it's the antidote to our disunity is building one another up, the edification for the purpose of edification of the entire body. Amen. Okay, so time's almost out again, Jill. One more question that I think is good. What advice would you give to someone personally? What would be your advice of someone struggling with unity? Because you do this all the time, Jill. You talk to women a lot and you help them. And it's not just women. It's not just limited to that. But a lot of times my wife ministers to women because uh, a lot of women call her and they look up to her. And you have a lot of women struggling with unity issues. What is, what is your, I guess, bottom line advice to them, Jill? First, I think it's just being honest. First, being honest with yourself, then reaching out to whomever you're struggling with and just being honest with them as well. Because once you lay it out, the enemy doesn't have any power in that um, once you reveal the truth. And so generally it just unfolds and pray with that individual and ask God to reveal to them what their next steps are. Right. So you're saying face it head on and you're saying and take it to the Lord. Absolutely. Right. And many times what we don't do, and I'm not just picking on women, I'm just saying many of us, like what we don't do is we'll come to someone else and we won't talk to the Lord at all about it. We won't even bring it up before the Lord yet because, hey, I'm dealing with this right now. And so we sometimes we think, I guess, subconsciously that we have to deal with it ourselves first. And really, our advice would be to take it to the Lord originally, right, Joe? For sure. Yeah. So thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to Time to Revive. 
Thanks for listening to Time to Revive. This show has been brought to you by Shine FM and Revive Ohio. More information about this program at ShineFMOhio.com. We're community-supported Shine FM.